Time to abandon ship. Here we go. Can I persuade you to join us for a drink? It's a tradition. Here, here. Jaja, homie, my main man. Quickly, before the separatists attack, get into the escape pod. Hey, welcome back to the Escape Pod. I'm your host, Josh, and today I have a very special co-host on a good friend of mine. His name is Calvin. We're going to be tearing apart an article that I found online written by Leon Miller for Screen Rant about 10 things in the prequels technology-wise that shouldn't have been in the prequels. I'm going to be taking you guys all down in the escape pod to Narshada. There's a little cantina that we're going to meet him up in and there's going to be some music playing in the background. We're just going to have a drink and uh, have a good time just ripping it apart. So uh, let's get down there, shall we? Uh, there he is right there, right next to the music. Hey, man. Hey. Hey, hey. Thanks for thanks for meeting us here. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, in the no, escape yeah no, wor no worries. No worries. Pleasure to have you. This is a surprise for me. Yeah, so this is kind of a saying. surprise. Let's do it. Uh, okay. I'm ready. All right. Number 10, Droidicas. If there's one thing Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith do a great job on, it's illustrating that clone troopers are vastly superior to battle droids. So, we totally understand why these robot soldiers were considered obsolete by the time the events of the original Star Wars trilogy rolled around. But what about droidicas? Packing serious heat along with shield generators, these crab-like mobile weapon platforms had few weaknesses and proved a handful to virtually any opponent that included Jedi Knights. To be honest, droidicas are far more effective than any frontline grunt, robotic or otherwise seen in episodes 4 through 6 which means they're probably too high-tech to belong in the prequels. If you had that technology at the time, then why would you switch to, like, men? Yeah. The Empire's, like, the Empire's cheap. The Empire doesn't spend a lot of money. So even compared to the, clone, the clones that the Republic spent money on, their armor is just a lot cheaper. Uh, they, were, they moved away from, like, paying for a clone army and started relying more on, like, volunteers that right. and, and recruiting. Yeah. yeah. So, um... Yeah, they, uh, I mean, as far as their government goes, I think the Empire's a lot cheaper than the Separatist Alliance was. Right. And the Separatist Alliance has some pretty wealthy allies. And like, they're profiting on They were really, somewhere. yeah, they're profiteering not only on the war, but, like, they had the banking clan on their side. Like, they had the Trade Federation on their side. Like, right. they had some pretty wealthy allies. So, um, it's not that they, uh, that they didn't have the money to fund these things. I think they just didn't want to fund the project to have droids around. And it just didn't go with their their uh, uh, their design language, I guess. Like, when you right. look at the Empire, it's like droids just don't really fit in. Like, you get medical droids and probe droids, right. but that's about it. Um, but yeah, I think what, what they think is too far-fetched is that there's almost no other thing like it in the prequels, so they think it's like out of question to have right. like a droid with a personal shield generator. Right. Um, I, I would like, I would like to know how long personal shield generators have been around by this point, but they do show up in can not in the films, but in canon, like 
they do show up uh, in the Battlefront 2 campaign. Uh, the the hero of the story and, and some of the really characters like you do get personal deployable shield generators right. like around your character and stuff right. um, but uh, yeah I don't know they, they like they they roll and about up to 75 kilometers per hour supposedly that's so, like pretty that's fast. pretty fast but yeah I don't know I mean like it's a bit of a like they are pretty advanced that's for sure they seem pretty advanced for like yeah. how long it took them to build the Death Star <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah they, they like, do they if do. it took them that long to build the Death Star then they should have just been they do seem they seem pretty advanced. I'll I, I'll I'll never be on like the side of the fence that says like they're like they shouldn't be in the prequels because like I th- I think they're like they don't f- seem out of place yeah. basically like they don't seem out of place but like they they do um, seem pretty advanced but yeah for sure um there yeah the whole, the whole shield generator thing actually that's something that comes later down the list but. Uh, number nine is the Skimitar. So, otherwise Skimitar. known otherwise known as uh, the Sith Infiltrator, the Skimitar was a starship piloted by Darth Maul. Oh, in that was his like, interceptor Nets. thing. Yeah, that was his ship. Oh, his yeah. stealth. I had the Lego. I had the Lego thing. one of that. Oh, you had the Lego. <laughs> Actually, I don't remember if I had it or if I like built it myself because it's so cool. It's like a Tie Fighter, like a Tie Fighter with like a long nose, right? Like yeah, it's almost like a Tie Fighter. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's got like, yeah, it's it's like, like, like the wings. Oh and, yeah, that thing was so cool. It's got like a ball. It's like a big ball. Yeah. Yeah. Big ball cockpit. So that was too advanced. Yeah, that thing didn't really fit the aesthetic of ever, anything else in the show, but it's, it did fit his aesthetic. Like, it fit yeah. Darth Maul's character perfectly. It says here that it's implausibly cutting edge for its day, but a but quick But didn't they have, like, a silver ship? Like, didn't Qui- or Am- Queen Amidala flew around in, like, a ball or, like, chrome? Yeah, well, that's, like, that's just it. Like, every, every society has their own, like... Right. Like, not every ship in the galaxy so is, is a Millennium Falcon. So it was too advanced who right? wasn't a queen. Well, the, the, the part of the ship that they're saying is too advanced is uh, the ship's cloaking device. So the ship mm-hmm. has a cloaking device, according to... Did it ever reference that in the movie, though? No. It, it referenced it in canon in... Darth Maul, Son of Dathomir, which was the first comic book series that was canonized uh, by right. Disney. Okay. And it takes place during the Clone Wars. And, uh, yeah, the, the ship is revealed to have a personal cloaking device, which, according to Captain Nita in The Empire Strikes Back... I was going to say, no ship that small has a cloaking device. Yes, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, But was... this is not the first time that we've seen a ship this size have a cloaking device. There was a, there was a, a Clone Wars episode where Anakin has to take an experimental craft down to the surface of a planet called Christophsis and make a supply run. And it's a very, very early prototype, about the same size as the Skimitar, mm-hmm. and that also had a personal cloaking device. But uh, there, were, there were certain limitations to it, so it's not like it worked, you know, just astoundingly. It's not like right. they could leave it on all the time. Like, uh, you know, it drained some of the energy, so they weren't able to fly as fast with this thing on. Right. It was a bit like a submarine in that and sense, like when it was just cloaked. Didn't matter. Uh, this is, well, this ship is basically it has the same kind of tech in it. What they're saying is like, is it too far fetched to be in the prequels? If, according to Captain Nita, he mm. believes that there's no ship that size that's capable of oh, having that's a cloaking device. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, accor- like I don't think Captain Nita knows everything in the galaxy. And, um, you know, he's if pretty smart, like, he, Captain he's is a pretty smart guy, but, he's the only uh, one who didn't get choked out, right? Is he, uh, wasn't he the only one who Captain ended up, Nita. who ended up living until the end? No, Captain, oh, no, he does. Captain Nita died. No, he does, he, yeah, Captain yeah, Nita he was the fool. Yeah, I he's think. the one who's like, 
I think Captain Needle was the guy. Apology who, accepted. Captain yeah, Nita. yeah, you got, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Apology accepted, Captain Apology Nita. Accepted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, he yeah, was. So a bit he wasn't that smart. He wasn't he, that smart. He no. ended up. He ended up dying on the floor. Of the I also think stars. it's it, as it, it in some ways could be considered a bit of a throwaway line, almost like an excuse, because he's like trying to find the Millennium right. Falcon. It's like, what? No ship does that size has a yeah. cloaking device, he's and like it's his own just ass. yeah, he's yeah. coming his own yeah. yeah because because this ship probably just Screw like that guy. This ship has near <laughs> outpiloted this captain of a star yeah, yeah. destroyer and landed on the ship, and he's they can't figure out where it went. He's looking for scapegoat, and it's the advanced technology of the time. So yeah, exactly. So I don't know. Like okay, I, Leon, I think you're wrong uh, about that one. Just Sorry. just about that one reference there, like as proof that apparently the the technology shouldn't exist right. not only does it not reference the the clone wars at all but um that one piece of reference is just isn't enough to convince me that it's like too far-fetched to have because it is a very highly experimental craft right. and uh i mean like i can buy it yeah like like not only is darth maul's master like a highly esteemed senator with a crap ton yeah. of money but you know like they i think the sith have always been very uh, resourceful, yeah, very resourceful. That's that's kind of their thing. So for them to get a hold of like experimental technology was uh, very in character. Right. Uh, I don't think that it's too far fetched to say that a personal cloaking device on an experimental right. craft is like out of the question. But uh, number eight, clone trooper armor. 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 Yes. Um, their plastoid armor. Plastoseal? Uh, Plast plastoid, I think. Plastoseal like or plastoseal? Maybe. That's plastoid. always like the thing that they call like hard. Yeah, let's plastoseal, right? Clone trooper armor. Let's let's take a it's look. It's like the uh, it's like plastic mixed with metal something. Yeah. Oh, fitting, fiber. It's fitting like plastoid, plastoid plastoid I think it's plastoid. like a it's a Star Wars term so like for yeah, plastic armor. based Kevlar okay. basically in okay. a way. So but yeah, as we've Kevlar seen we in the movies, it can't uh, can't take a direct hit. It's uh, it's good for like, you know, electric stuff right. and, and yeah. But yeah, it's not it's not the greatest. Okay, so why why does head. he think that that's too advanced? So it says here that the Mandalorian armor sported by the likes of Jango and Boba Fett will never go out of style. Even though its basic design dates back 500 years, not only is the distinctive protective kit highly effective, despite its ancient origins. It was purpose-built with fighting Jedi in mind. Remember, but its uh, cultural significance means that no Mandalorian would ever think of replacing it. The same level of rev reverence shouldn't apply to outsiders, however. So why does the Empire and later the First Order persist with Mandalorian-inspired armor designs for so long? After all, there's very little obvious improvement between the Clone Trooper armor that debuts in Episode 2 and the Stormtrooper outfits that supersede uh, them from episode four onwards. So either armor fabrication techniques didn't improve in over 50 years, 50 years, or clone trooper armor was much better than it had any right to begin with. Um, I've, I've got a small problem with this because the 50 years, I don't know what kind of 50 years Maybe he's it's talking 30 about. 30 years, 40 years, whatever. Uh, I, I mean, the there's like 19 years between he's saying three that, and like, four. He's saying that like the, the armor never improved. But I think no, I don't the think most the armor part, didn't approve. Yeah, no. I think for yeah. the most part, it was all just like story driven. It was like if a stormtrooper needed to die instantly, then they would get shot and die instantly. Yeah, yeah, totally. If yeah. they needed to take a yeah. hit, then they would take a hit. Yeah, I don't think the armor has anything. I mean, like, I think what he's saying is uh, more so though is 
why, why wouldn't they do, do, do they persist on maintaining the inspired design oh, by the Mandalorian? I think what they're getting though. at, they, I, they do change quite a bit. And like in the first phase, I can see them like the T the T yeah. visor Mandalorian yeah, yeah. look going on. And then this, the the episode, second phase three, though, they're like half and half. Yeah, and like in the second phase, it was very like half stormtrooper, half, half clone yeah, trooper, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, and like I I don't know, I don't, I don't think that. All that is, is it means that the designer who did the original one was under contract and they could only use his designs for so long, they had to hire a new designer, and they wanted it <laughs> yeah. to look the same, and so he made it look as close as he could without ripping the other guy off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then it comes down to money. It's like, well, it's much cheaper to make something that's a lot more simple, less shiny bits. I really like the Two eyes instead of like a big, huge, like, T. T visor, yeah. T visor. Much cheaper. Yeah. Empire's cheap, like you said. Yeah, Empire is cheap. Yeah, for sure. But uh, so, why does the Empire or later the First Order persist with Mandalorian-inspired armor designs for so long? I think the answer is they don't. Yeah, they totally yeah. didn't. Yeah, it's just body armor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just white. Oh yeah, right. It's white. It's white. Yeah, and like uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I don't, I don't look at a stormtrooper and think like that Mandalorian. helmet over there does not look like Boba Fett. No, not at all. Uh, yeah. Not so, okay, number seven, Gungan blast shields. Gungan blast shields. Oh yeah, shields. that one. Yeah, that one. I definitely agree. Okay, like, yeah. How did so these like prehistoric, the like like nomadic, <laughs> like animal frog people have like this advanced like? Well, that goes hand in hand with how their homes are set up underwater. Yeah, they have a super advanced technology. For, yeah, like, they have very they advanced technology. But the Naboo culture in general, I think, has this grip on technology in the way other people don't. I don't think so. They lived in gardens, right? They lived in like, where did they film that? Sicily? Because their ships in, like, are all very shiny. sleek. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just true. part of, like it's weird. It is weird to think like, oh wow, like these like very simple living people yeah. have like the most advanced technology yeah, out there. But but it's it's interesting that it follows through. It's not just the shields. It's everything. You know like, I think that is? That's just like, that's just the culture that discovered fire. Right, it's like, it it's like anyone it could have is. discovered fire, well, and then they'd be more advanced than all the other cultures at the it's time. A, it's it's interesting that, that you bring that up because Naboo farms plasma. So when 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 Qui Gon and Obi Wan and Maul are fighting down in the the lower levels of Coruscant, or sorry, uh, Naboo, it 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 you have like these towers of plasma going up, oh, and yeah, yeah. and that's actually it's it's not like the the core of the planet. It's more or less like. They're literally like farming this energy. So it's like a yeah, it's like a prehistoric or like a um, yeah, like a uh, non-civilized uh, people who like live on a gold mine. Yeah, and they don't yeah, realize the gold is valuable, yeah. so they just use it for like making everything. Yeah, so exactly. They make all these shields with this plasma stuff. Yeah, they're able they to, to make it. good shields like with this with this plasma exactly. So I think. I mean, something happened between the Gungans and the and the Boo people at at one point where they kind of separated in terms of like living in uh we saw no life in Naboo. yeah <laughs> yeah so like they kind of like have a bit of a a cold shoulder yeah. for each other yeah. yeah but i think before that these two cultures worked in unison quite well yeah. and i believe that their technology went like their their design language across both things that come from the naboo people and the gungans uh, are very close in yeah. in design. So when when they they take that little ship from the Gungan Sym- symbiotic home, yeah, symbiotic relationship. Yeah. 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 So when Qui Gon and, and Jar Jar and they, they get into that uh, that uh, like, the, the, fish, the Boomba the, thing or the fish the fish spaceship. Yeah, the fish, fish spa- yeah, the fish submarine. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it looks like something that belongs on Naboo. 
like yeah, the, totally there's yeah. the viewports are made of the viewports are made of shields, not glass, right? Right. So like, there's a lot of emphasis on the fact that they have this tech. Yeah. Um, so they say, uh, oh, actually, no, I, I, I already read it, but no, did I read it? No, I didn't read it. Did I? No, I didn't read it. Uh, so this article says, It's fair to say that in a booze amphibious race, the Gungans aren't exactly the most beloved alien species in Star Wars canon. I agree with that. No, we <laughs> um, love them. No, we love I love Jar Jar. I love Jar Jar. But, but they can at least lay claim to one genuinely impressive invention, the portable blast shield generator. Capable of withstanding a blaster cannon bombardment indefinitely, these movable defenses are arguably the best protection against a land-based assault yeah. seen in the entire saga. Yeah, we have one those, glaring like, EMP flaw. the thing is that, like, just disabled any... Yeah. Any, any speeders, right? Yeah. Uh, those yeah, those tanks, those, those brown tank things. Yeah, so... Uh, it says here that, yeah, they have one glaring flaw. Gungan shields only work against energy blasts. Uh, infantry units can muscle through with comparative ease, yet this shortcoming can easily be mitigated with proper strategic thinking. Right. And the only reason we can think of why this tech, uh, tech this good doesn't appear in the original trilogy is that the franchise creator George Lucas simply hadn't dreamed it up yet. Uh, do you think this is also partially just a VFX thing? The idea just like that, that they couldn't have physical looking shields. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah, maybe. I mean, but that's the thing, they never really went back to that, right? Like, even in the in the later prequels, they never had physically visible shields, right? Like, um, with the, um, oh, let me think. when R2-D2's fixing the shield generator on top of, like, that that command, like that uh, silver ship, right? And the, all the droids are getting blasted off and stuff. You never really see the shields. Yeah. Well, actually, shields later later in Star Wars, you don't see... Like, it's not like you never ships see, like, drive around with shields. bubbles on yeah, them, right? Yeah. Like, you never see deflector shields. You sort of see it in The Last Jedi, and but it's invisible. Oh, yeah. uh, so it's kind of invisible, but you see the. Oh yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, right. you see them like disperse. It might be a VFX thing, but. So, but also, uh, the Death Star Two was protected by a shield generator on Endor, and you never see that yeah, either. Yeah. And the Hoth base was also protected yeah. by a shield generator. You never see that. I mean, generally, the so is you don't see them. I think it's more fair to say almost it's almost like advanced. a more priv primitive yeah, shield generator is that you do see right. it, right? right. So, because it's advantageous not to see it, right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's more yeah because because there's that moment where Lando's in the Millennium Falcon, and and he's like the, the shields aren't aren't down yet. You know, pull up, pull up, and then they like have to disperse right. because if they, they kept flying, they would just crash into the shield yeah. generator and blow yeah. up. Yeah, so it's actually less It's actually more primitive. Here's a question though: Why would a primitive people who use like slingshots and like arrows and like spears invent a shield that only works with against energy weapons like if they I were guess. fighting against each other that would be useless <laughs> yeah it's only it only worked because they're fighting battle droids my, my guess is it's the best thing of the best form of defense that they have and they know that it works against because Naboo, maybe. because yeah and and i think they have these things at the ready because they already make their homes out of them in the first place right so i think like so it's, it's a very it's a repurposed technology yeah uh, I think maybe it was a possible happy accident that they realized that it blocks incoming blaster fire. Yeah. Well, uh, could be who knows? But uh, yeah, but anyway, I, I think it's actually quite ingenious of them to repurpose that tech for defensive purposes. Right. Um, okay, number six, holograms. In the real world, communications technology continues to evolve at breakneck speed. 
but the same doesn't seem to apply to Star Wars Galaxy Far Far Away. There are holograms, the main method of making and receiving calls and displaying information has remained virtually static between the prequel and sequel trilogies, a gap of almost 60 years. The closest holographic hardware that has come to appreciable upgrade, to an appreciable upgrade, is showcased in The Force Awakens. Here, Supreme Leader Snoke's oversized projection comes through devoid of the bluish tinge associated with technology. This is Snoke? Yeah, it so... blue. Snoke's... Yeah, he does have a blue It's entirely blue. He, he's, like, got color to him, yeah, but... Yeah, they always did. Has... Princess Leia had, like, skin tone. Like, she had red cheeks yeah. and, like, white skin. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And the rest of her were kind of blue. I think Snoke the difference about that projection was that artifact, it just yeah. wasn't completely, like, R2-D2 yeah. kind of yeah, blue. Yeah, he was, didn't have artifacts and stuff, but that was because it was in that massive throne room, right? Like, yeah. didn't uh, the Emperor have, like... His chimpanzee eye. Remember, he was the, when he when, when they yeah. used the, Remember the chimp, the chimp. Yeah, the chimp eyes. Yeah, yeah. Chimp eyes like that no, one yeah. was and good even, quality. Even in the redone one, I, I like you do see color. I think they just like have the see, bad. Yeah. I think they just have the bad quality ones are when it's like that one with the little spider legs that's walking around. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. one's bad quality. And when they're like the little pocket ones, the small ones, and the R2D2 ones. But it makes me think that because those are such deployable tech. But like it's they would point. be crappier, right? Yeah, like, I mean, there's probably like some Chinese knockoff ones in the, in the galaxy <laughs> that are just like worse, and then they don't bother. But it is a good question, like why they, why wouldn't it be like, like extremely better? Yeah, far better in the newer ones. Yeah, like why did it? Why is it? They could have just made it more degraded in the prequels, just make them even worse in the prequels. Yeah, they could have. Like yeah, two D something. 2D yeah, because there's projection. a there's a screenshot here of the Count Dooku's deployable hologram projector the with uh, the plans to the Death Star. Right. Yeah, and it's very high quality. So it's pretty clear, you know, color. pretty crisp. Yeah. Um, the only time we see a hologram that good is in Return of the Jedi when they're looking at the plans. Of oh, yeah. the second Death Star yeah. on the Mon Calamari yeah, ship. Yeah, it's got this Yeah, and in Episode Four, we see Leia as a crappy little. Well, I'll tell you fuzzy. exactly. I'll tell you exactly what that was. It's like at the time when they made the original series. That's the technology that's they, what had. they had. Yeah, that's and what that's they now had. the look. That's what why uh, that's what Star Wars looks like. It's the same reason why. Even in the latest movies and in all the prequels, they have like the '70s style style computer interfaces with like plugging like physical cables into things instead of like transmitting things wirelessly and like yeah. using like actual data tapes and like plugging things in. Yeah, because yeah. that's just what the '70s were. That's what that's what people understood. Oh yeah, and it, you know it's also worth noting that through the whole saga, you do still actually I don't know about this in the sequels but in the original trilogy and in the prequels they still use viewports like they still use screens, screens on yeah. on the walls and in yeah. the ships and everything to have uh, video conference calls almost like uh, in the Phantom Menace you do get one almost right away where Nuke Gunray shows up on right. the ship on the inside when Qui-Gon's like about to that's land right. yeah, on that's that thing. Like TV. Yeah, it's just a yeah. TV screen. And then and then you get that again quite later on, even in the middle in the in Revenge of the Sith on Mustafar. Um, the uh, the facilities there. They have not quite holograms, they're they're very fancy looking viewports, but they're still viewports. They right. still like touch screens and right, right. with graphic interfaces and everything. And then you get that again later on in the original trilogy when Darth Vader's communing with officers on deck and stuff like that. Right, yeah, so yeah, I, I think holograms have holograms have always been around, viewports have always been around. I don't think 
either or supersede one another. I think they're both they both have their uses. They both have their own cost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. I think this. I don't know about you, but it's I think this one's a story. I think. Yeah. It's it's, it's whatever to serve the, the purpose of the story for sure. Yeah. I don't think it has anything to do with uh, holograms no. being too advanced for the prequels. So. Uh, all right. Number five, the Millennium Falcon. This one is. I just like. I just can't deal with this one. Okay, tell me, tell me. This how. one, okay, this one. So, are you aware of the Easter egg, of? Oh, when it shows up in the episode three or something. Yes. Okay, yeah, okay. you know exactly what I'm talking about. So, this entire thing is based off of an Easter based egg. Based off that one thing that some VFX artists like. I got a cool idea. How would I put the Millennium Falcon in? <laughs> yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. Okay, so and let me read this little piece here for you. Full disclosure: this entry is more than a little harsh. So this guy's like, you know, he's like ripping this one to shreds. But how else would you describe taking Revenge of the Sith? to task over a minor background easter egg that was intended to amuse eagle-eyed fans. But part of the fun of Star Wars is in poring over its many little details and the YT-1300 Corellian freighters that can be glimpsed docked at the Galactic Senate building in Episode 3 is problematic. Why? Well, the saga's most iconic vehicle, the Millennium Falcon, is a YT-1300 model light freighter. Based off of the YT-1300 seen in Revenge of the Sith, the Falcon is therefore been around at least half a century by the time The Force Awakens goes down. And official tie-in media suggests it closer to, it's closer to 90 years old at that point. Even with a million modifications, are we seriously supposed to believe that the Falcon is good enough to survive dogfights with far newer starships? Sounds like an impossibly good make of a starship if you ask us. Okay, so if we take those... There's two separate paragraphs there. So if you just take the Easter egg alone as a reason to say, okay, why is that even there? Um, I, just see it, I just see it as like the semi-truck of the day. Like semi-tractor trailers have not changed that much in the last 50 years. Like the Peterbilt yeah. 359 that you see on the street with over a million kilometers is still running strong and they still make vehicles almost exactly the same. They still have the same amount of wheels and the same design structure. It's slightly different fittings and extras and stuff like that, but it's the same thing, right? This is just a freighter. It's just yeah. a big freighter that's meant to carry things from one place to another. There's no reason why they needed to change the design. The design was fine. And then the Millennium Falcon was just a newer model of it. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point, actually. I didn't even think of that. Okay, the beef that I have with this is that this article was written this year. So if you okay. think very hard... Yeah, like they watched Solo, right? Exactly. Okay, like so I'm sure they watched Solo. The it's time. clearly, yeah, at this point in time, That's in the point. canon of Star Wars, it's clearly not the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, because the Millennium Falcon was brand new. It's just another one. It's just another semi. It's just yeah, another it's just semi. another Corellian freighter, right? Another like like big, these things were not It's not a big rig truck. Yeah, and There's like... a million of them, and people will deck them out. People do different things with them. Like, who cares? I mean, I'll throw them a bone here and say, okay, it looks kind of close to the Millennium Falcon. But I mean, like, E.T. shows up in The Phantom Menace. Like, like you can't yeah. tell me they just weren't having fun. Like, it, yeah. you know, they were probably, yeah. the guys at ILM were probably exactly like, hey, was. like, let's throw this in, right? And then uh, and then they probably just was. threw it in. So anyway, that's, that's that I have a huge problem with that whole thing. Yeah. But, um, okay, the second part is that it's getting, like, they're, they're getting at the fact that if this ship was around, hypothetically, in the prequel era, how come it can keep up with ships now, which is like in The Last Jedi and well, did, Force Awakens. Like, did hyperdrive and all that stuff actually change that much? Like, you're going no. faster than light, you're going faster than light, right? I like, think the only thing that maybe changed about it is that now smaller ships have more access right. to getting a hyperdrive, but right. uh, but it's but saying if, like, that those it Naboo, can't, like, can, Those Naboo freighters 
and they go to hyperdrive. I don't remember. The small Nabu fighters. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think. Okay, they but can, those small, but... like those, like silver, like ships that the queen rides around, and those things are. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that's roughly the size. Like they're Senator bigger. Padme's. I mean, they are bigger, but they're not like, a ton bigger. I just don't think that like I think once you're going faster than the speed of light, it doesn't really matter. And it's like, who cares if you're going faster? In this in this uh, little piece here, he's saying, is the Falcon still good enough? Can it can it be really believed that the Falcon is still good enough to survive dogfights? So more than just the the hard drive, the the hyperdrive, uh, is it believable that the Falcon can sustain yeah. itself? In I guess battle? my point is that like in Phantom Menace, they've already achieved space travel. Like interstellar travel and like very maneuverable ships, they've got it. They've already done it, right? And all that's going to get better is like the expertise of the pilots, yeah. right? And Han Solo was just a better pilot. Yeah, yeah. That's it's it. just, and that's he's all. had a ton of modifications that's, made to that ship. That's like, all it is. Yeah. Yeah. Not only does it does it perform like uh, with extreme agility. But he's got a ton of weapons on there that really maintain his defense. Like, yeah. and it's meant to be a junky old ship. Like, it's meant to be an old ship. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, so many times, so many times do they say like ah, this hunk of junk. junk. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's meant just, to be an old, rusty old ship be because old ship, it was like, built then. Yeah, so like, I this first of all, I mean, because ago. of the canonicity of Solo, Solo I, this but this still, shouldn't even like be in this years. list. That's still twenty years. Right? But like, yeah, it's and a twenty-year-old. Honda Civic you're driving around in. Yeah, so like, yeah, super common. Like, you know, I don't, this this thing has like double the reason not to be in this list. But, uh, okay, number four. This one's a bit more of an obscure Are one. Are we getting up in like value? Are these like, are these like his priority list? I think this is his priority oh, list. Leon, I want to see what you got for me on number one. Yeah, okay. All right, let's number three. <laughs> All right, number four, seismic charges. Do well, those are those like ones that go like. Bang! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For the audience, okay, so, I was miming the shape of the explosion before I made the sound. Yeah. So, okay, seismic charges, yeah, those are great. Just building it up. Yeah, that's great. So one of the most memorable moments during the interstellar dogfight between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Jango Fett in Attack of the Clones. I which just I did really, it, Josh. I really like that scene, actually. I just did it. Sees yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fett unleash seismic charges against his Jedi foe. The results are nothing short of spectacular as the explosives shear through the surrounding asteroid field with devastating ease. This leaves us wondering why these babies never crop up in the original trilogy. Take the Empire's pursuit of the Millennium Falcon through the asteroid field in The Empire Strikes Back. Compared to what we've seen seismic charges do in a similar scenario, the TIE bomber's proton bombs are pitiful by comparison. Uh, are seismic charges too advanced to be in the prequels? That's such a retarded thing to be on the list. It's obviously just VFX. They couldn't do it. <laughs> okay, like, that's definitely like the number one reason. Of course. The like other, George would have had that if he could have. For in-story reasons okay, though. Okay, but let's jump in. For, yeah, if, let's if, go if into we were to just like accept yes, the way yes, that this okay, is, okay. right? Um, I wouldn't have put it on the list for that reason, but okay, let's say that it's on the list. Number one reason is seismic charges are super deadly, right? Like they yeah. just rip to apart everyone. those asteroids. Yeah. What's the one thing that Vader wanted that entire movie? <laughs> he wanted the ship. He wanted <laughs> them alive. Why would he want to blow it up? Yeah. Right? Like like Mr. Miller, come on, man. Like watch on, watch bro. your favorite trilogy once again. Um so <laughs> yeah, Vader wanted the Millennium Falcon the entire film like like he was always after that he doesn't want to blow it up. Yeah. I mean, like like He says, like Yeah. I want that ship. Okay, and the second thing that I thought of was uh, again, it goes back to like how cheap the Empire is. Yeah, he's a he's I, like, like a 
he's a, a bounty hunter. Like his yeah. job is to like be a badass who kills people. Yeah. And he gets paid a lot of money to do it. And so he spends a lot of money on the highest tech, the best tech from like the weirdest planets where he gets these special things you can only get in this one spot. The Empire is making like dirt cheap weapons and cheap armor and as much as they can, as fast as they can, turning mm-hmm. it out. They're not making specialized weaponry for stormtroopers yeah no exactly so that's number four uh number three i have real beef with this one too three po units star wars mainstays three po and r2d2 aren't exactly spring chickens indeed the phantom menace establishes that both were online 32 years prior to the events of a new hope so they're clearly verging on obsolete by the time we reach the original trilogy or are they Certainly, C-3PO doesn't seem to have been overtaken by newer models in the generation since he was manufactured. On the contrary, 3PO units are commonplace in episodes 4 through 6, and not just among the resources strapped rebellion. So either protocol droid technology has seriously plateaued, or the 3PO model, I believe he just means protocol droid models, were implausibly ahead of his time. Well, it's the same thing. He said it exactly. They plateaued. It's just like the dogfighting yeah. thing. It's exactly the same as the stormtrooper armor. Armor is armor. And like an intelligent droid that understands, was it 300 million like, forms of communication? Yeah. Like, do you need more? <laughs> <laughs> do you need six million? Oh, actually, no, oh, he does. Yeah, he million. does. In The Force Awakens, he he's like doubled his, yeah. his language he database so or something. Like, he's like, yeah. I, I'm fluent in six million forms of communication. And then he says more later on, right? He's like 12 million or something <laughs> yes. in The Force Awakens. He's just like, constantly getting I'm smarter. But, okay, he, like, the, thing, the problem that I have with, with this one is... Okay, they, they have plateaued, for sure. Like, it's a technology that's reached its peak. They're basically humans. They're basically humans, yeah. I mean, it's literally Anthony Daniels in a suit, so... <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a British butler. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, what he's saying here is the Phantom Menace establishes that both were online 32 events, 32 years prior to the events of A New Hope, so are they, cl- you know, they're clearly verging on obsolete by the time we reach the original trilogy. That's a huge or are they? Like, That's a huge assumption to make. Yeah, I, why, I think, like, at this point in time... I mean, don't forget, like, 3PO was made out of junk. Yeah. Like, Anakin Anakin. built him out of Yeah, and I assume that, like, it was, like, uh, the fittings that went over top of him were, like, from a kit. Yeah. It was, like, a common kit that everyone had. Yeah. And whoever finished it. Common shell plates. Like, like, just, like... finished it or whatever. It wasn't until he got... uh, Yeah, and he wasn't... It wasn't until he was serving Padme in the Senate that they plated him with gold just to fit in, right? Just to fit in with society. But even at the Lars homestead, like, he finally got his final final fittings, but they were super old and rusty. So, like, at this point in time, like, in the prequels, 3PO units have been around even longer than just the prequels. So, yeah, because there's like that white one or the silver one that they see in the waiting room. Yeah, in the Phantom Menace, there's a silver one. Yeah, Yeah, in the very first scene, yeah. So but why is it why are you why are they assuming that that's obsolete? I, I don't like, really know. Just because think, computers go obsolete now in like two years doesn't mean that that happens. Yeah. Always. Like if it's already that advanced, it's probably not going to go obsolete. Yeah, exactly. I, like you know, clearly and they can, it didn't. I mean, they were basically humans, so. I think they did. I don't know. Maybe is he expecting I them to like to sus- fly or something? Yeah. Like, like what are you expecting here, Mister Miller? I think you have to suspend your belief for the rest of it and just realize it's a sci-fi movie. That's like they're meant to be like quirky, funny robot people that like, yeah. we as a, as an audience have to laugh with them and be like, oh ha, it's funny because it's cute and he's a robot. 
but like of course yeah they could make it indiscernible from a human make an android that's completely realistic but that's not interesting or fun or yeah entertaining exactly okay so number two darth vader's life support system now this one's a bit of a trick question so don't jump to any conclusions at first but uh over the course of its 140 minute runtime revenge of the sith plays host to not one but two walking hospital beds darth vader and general grievous Yet while both mechanized menaces rely on mobile su- life support systems to survive, Vader's breathing apparatus, only a few years older than Grievous's own, is markedly better. True, both Grievous's alien physiology and severity of his injuries differed significantly from his Sith Lord counterpart. It's presumably harder to keep a pile of organs alive than it is a dismembered torso. Even so, aside from his trademark heavy breathing, Vader otherwise functions unimpeded. Whereas the droid's general, or the droid general's body is is constantly racked by hacking and uh, hacking coughs. Our diagnosis: Grievous's galactic healthcare plan was terrible, <laughs> or Vader had the inside track on medical technology well beyond what should strictly have been available to him at the time. So you mean like the Supreme Chancellor funding? Uh medical science project versus some like weirdo alien guy from another planet <laughs> yeah that the issue here? that's that's like, one way to literally put it. the uh, the senate like the yeah. literal senate yeah exactly well or and that's that's just it because in some in the uh, in the original like 2d clone wars i believe grievous grievous is like so in star wars legends like in in non-canon material okay. Uh, Grievous didn't have a problem with his breathing apparatus until Mace Windu like force choked him and destroyed uh, some of his interior. His yeah, and then that led right into the re- that led into revenge of the Sith. General Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that's that's like one thing. But like when they did the 3D animated show, yeah, they established the fact that it wasn't due to injuries that he had the suit made for him and it wasn't uh it wasn't the suit that necessarily had him or it wasn't mace windu that had him like coughing and hacking and all that Mm -hmm. so from the get-go general grievous has the suit by choice at one point in one of the episodes he says that uh or or his droid butler basically you know, establishes the fact that he voluntarily put himself forward for the surgery for the upgrades because he wanted to keep up, I guess, with combat Jedi. He wanted to be able to have a Jedi uh, lightsaber belt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think maybe the coughing is just like a side effect of that. But, um, you know, like they're saying... So are they saying that he thinks that Darth Vader's suit is far more advanced than... They're saying that Darth Vader's suit is far more advanced of... A life support system than General Grievous's. So they think that General Grievous is worse. They think they think that General Grievous's suit is a life support system, and that's where the trick question is. Because I don't think General Grievous had. Obviously, the suit's keeping him alive. But even if it is a life support system, is Grievous's not far more advanced? Like he's able to like yeah, yeah, he's able to like jump and like. Move. He's got he's talons. He's mobile. And, he's strong. Like when yeah. Obi Wan punches him or, or like hits him or whatever, he's like solid metal, like yeah, monster. Sure. And you can see that like he has way less organic matter than 
Darth Vader does. Darth Vader's like just a burnt human. Yeah. And he can barely walk. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's got like c- cybernetic limbs. Yeah. Which have been around for for yeah, a for while him. at this point, like in yeah. Star Wars history. But like Grievous is like just a heart and like a eye socket <laughs> in, a, in a robot shield. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I mean they're they're basically saying that Vader's breathing apparatus is only a few years older than Grievous's own, but is markedly better. I don't even think they're the same no. on the same playing field. Yeah, like I think totally Vader's things. suit is like a life support system, yeah. But like Grievous, even though he's being held alive by the suit, it's more of an upgrade. And uh, yeah, it's more like combat upgrades. Like yeah, and the side effect is that he's hacking away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it was also just like uh, a design choice to have him resemble Vader's breathing apparatus like with the right. with the grill on his on his That's mouth right. and everything yeah, yeah. so yeah I believe that was uh, said in Return of or Revenge of the Sith in one of the VFX behind the scenes they talked about having the same yeah they talked about grill. the concept art yeah. of General Grievous and they, right. they did talk about that so uh, okay here's the number one on the okay, list Leon. just wait for it alright Slave One Mr. Miller. Slave One Slave One well, okay, first question. Was it supposed to be the same ship, like, repainted, or are they two different ships? It is. Because one's blue. In canon, it is the same ship that's been repainted. Okay, okay. Let's hear it. Okay. A heavily modified patrol and attack craft, Slave One was the best in class when Jango Fett was at the helm during the Clone Wars. When Fett kicked the bucket in Attack of the Clones, his son, or to be more precise, clone, Boba, inherited Slave One. And it's not surprising that Fett Jr. relied on his old man's souped-up starship to kickstart his own bounty hunting career. But why is he still flying it during the Empire Strikes Back? Think about it. Slave One is over 20 years old by this point. Surely Boba should have traded it in for something a bit more modern. Yes, it was his father's ship, but Boba already indulges whatever traces of sentimentality reside within. His ruthless soul by wearing Jango's armor into battle so if we rule out the mawkishness on Boba's part, and only remaining rationale for him to keep Slave One is that uh, it's got to be a way better ship uh, than any other ship in the prequel era has the right to be. So like you're just saying, he's just saying that if your dad dies and leaves you his Corvette, just because it's not as fast as a Lamborghini, you should right. get rid of it. Get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. Get rid of it. For something newer. Yeah. Oh, but I'm not allowed to say that. I have to think of an actual reason why. No, I think that that's probably the reason. Yeah. Right. Like, well, I mean, he like, wants to be sure. his father. But here, here, like, the other thing is, like, as as we've already gone over seismic charges. Yeah. Like that ship has had some major upgrades. Yeah. And kind of like the Millennium Falcon, it holds up. Like yeah. over over time, it just it just. It was like, a good ship back then. It keeps and up. It's still a good ship. Yeah, it's still yeah. a good ship. Yeah. So why would he get it's rid of it? It's the same thing as the Corvette. Like the Corvette still does its job. It's still a fast car, just because it doesn't have like uh, steering assist and like lane assist and all that stuff yeah. and all those fancy, fancy things features. and computers and stuff. It doesn't mean that you still can't drive it fast on the highway. Yeah. Right? So the same as the Money Falcon, same as this. You can still drive it fast. You can still do what it needs to be done. Yeah. Well, and cars are cars. Are cars. cars are meant for driving. Yeah, and these are the cars of the galaxy. Yeah. These are the cars of the galaxy. And this is and your dad's cool car that he left you. When yeah. You well, and, and it was designed for his career, which Boba's now taken he's over. He's doing the same thing. So he's yeah. doing the same job, So which means all the modifications that were made to that ship are still relevant to Boba. Yeah. And I'm assuming that more modifications have been made over the years. Like, yeah. um, I want to bring up Clone Wars again because uh, at one point in the show, Boba is running with a few other bounty hunters. 
And uh, at one point, Aura Singh, who's a bounty hunter at the time, takes control of the ship, and uh, an accident happens when Ahsoka Tano, a character, jumps up onto the viewport, and she deflects a couple blaster bolts back into the cockpit, and then she, I guess, catches the control panel with her lightsaber or something. Uh, Ahsoka jumps off to safety, and Aura Singh goes down with Slave One and crashes it. And you don't really see like how damaged the ship is. All you see is it kind of disappear behind these mountains and just kind of plummet into a cloud of smoke and fire sort of thing. So you assume that it's taken some pretty heavy hits. But later on in the show, and that's when it was blue and green. Later on in the show, uh, a character called Hondo Onaka, who is now uh, quite popular at Galaxy's Edge in Disneyland. He's like one of the host characters there. He wears this like red robe with a green, you know, vest or whatever. Yeah, um, I, think, I think I saw him. Yeah, yeah so he actually... It, it's on the... Uh, this accident happens on Florum, which is the, the planet that his pirate base is on. And like any pirate, like Hondo's got a garage. Yeah. And Hondo's pirate crew salvages Slave One and puts it back together again and gives it a paint job, which resembles himself. And Hondo's like, Hondo's full of himself. Like that's right. kind of his character. Right. He's like, you know, he, he loves what he does. Um, he's, he's a funny guy, but uh, he's essentially like got the core paint job on it for that classic burgundy red and green that we see it later on in the film. Okay. I'm assuming that when they put the ship back together, they made it better than it was before. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so there's that. And then Boba takes it eventually, and made, makes his own modifications. I'm just yeah. I'm just filling in the gaps here. Well, that's but just, yeah, that's yeah. good writing, right? Yeah. So I mean, like, not only has it been like souped up, but it's still a very relevant ship to drive, and it's got sentimentality. Yeah. It does the job. So, yeah. And as with all of this stuff, like the gal- the the saga begins in episode one, where everything's already super advanced. Like, yeah. It, it's not going to get that much better. Yeah. Without becoming. Yeah cinematically uninteresting yeah it's definitely at a, a peak already yeah. like a lot of the technology things is already need to have peak. flaws otherwise we won't relate to them at all yeah. yeah yeah exactly so anyway so that's the list from from screenrant.com and is this uh, guy gonna get mad at us for I don't know I don't know if he ever will no, he might not no even no hard feelings this. Leon we just yeah. needed content yeah exactly <laughs> just just looking for something to talk about so anyway no that was fun that was yeah fun. that was good that so was thanks great. for thanks for coming on to the escape pod thank you for yeah. having me yeah great I'll try not to bump my head on the way out yeah <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Calvin, for coming over, hanging out with me, and just uh, chatting Star Wars on the Escape Pod right here with our listeners. And uh, yeah, it's it's really getting off the ground at the moment, so you know it, it's even more more uh, special to have you as uh, our second guest here, and you know just to talk hobby with uh, a good friend. So yeah, thank you so much. And uh, for for all you listeners out there. Uh, we're uh, we're on Twitter. Uh, Twitter handle is uh, SW Escape Podcast, and our email is theescapepod at outlook.com. If you have any friends that uh, love Star Wars, maybe share this podcast with them. You can find it on Stitcher, Deezer, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, uh, Castbox, uh, wherever podcasts are found. And if there's a platform that you use that we're not featured on, please let us know. 
and uh, we'll do our best to get on whichever platform is most convenient to you. So, uh, thanks again for tuning in to Star Wars Escape Pod. I'm your host, Josh. Today, your co-host was Calvin, and uh, looking forward to having you again. May the Force be with you. <laughs>